Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today we've got an amazing show and I've got a co-host with me today. So everybody knows Rachel Newsham, part of the team, big advocate for mental health and changing the narrative around mental health within the fitness world. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Very good, mate, very good. But today we're here about our guests, more fellow Brits. Well, we have got an Irish person to the boot as well, but uh, we'll let him off with that. Michelle Heaton is an English pop singer, actress, television personality, and was a member of the pop group Liberty X until they announced their split in 2007 after soaring seven top 10 singles, including Just a Little and Got to Have Your Love, and also taking out two Brit Awards. She's remained a media favorite with more credits to her name for TV, radio, theater, and has a widely documented battle with the health since the time in the band. Having been diagnosed with a mutated BRCA2 gene in 2012 and discovering she had 80% chance for developing breast cancer and 30% chance of developing ovarian cancer, she opted to have a double mastectomy and breast reconstructive surgery. In 2015, she underwent a complete hysterectomy to reduce the risk of developing ovarian cancer. She's also a published author after writing a book about menopause called Hot Flush, Motherhood, The Menopause and Me. Joining her, as we say, we let him off his Irish, is <laughs> Hugh Hanley, CIO of MyPT Hub, the all-in-one software for personal trainers and fit pros looking for a way to manage their business. Former head of PT and fitness for several large health clubs, including Virgin Active and Bannatines, which we're excited to talk about um, because we've got wow. Rachel in the health and fitness sector as well. But first of guys, welcome to the show and huge thank you for being a part of the campaign. Thanks for having me. I have to say that that's literally the best intro ever. You've really? literally summed it up within a minute, everything. Look and what. it was really accurate. You know what? And I always start these podcasts off and saying, don't think I'm some kind of professional host. That's why it's called Imperfectly Perfect. <laughs> like, that was really perfect. Oh, honestly, thank you. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's what I want to say. But I still think CIO is a made-up thing. <laughs> <laughs> what does CIO mean? Uh, Chief Information Officer. See, made up. <laughs> you know I, had to actually, I had to actually Google that one. I was like, what's CIO? I was like, CEO of He came up with it. That he, Phil, who owns the business, well, did own until he just recently <laughs> saw it, asked you what do you want your C something O to be stand? And then we, we were thinking together and why, why CIO? Everyone needs information. So I was like, let's just cover the information. It covers everything. It covers everything, doesn't it? It covers like fitness, technology, nutrition. We just have all the information. No, he is. And what I wanted to do, first of all, obviously, thank you. But again, Thank you for being so forth in your story. I know you're very outwardly spoken now, but I know when I reached out to you back in October, it was something that you thought about for a while because it is so public to share your story. So I suppose what we like to do with the campaign is, like I've told you before, we like to get to know the people behind the public personas. So tell us a little bit about Michelle and Hugh, and then if you would like to go into your story a little bit. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, 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 well, I mean, you've, you've kind of summed up my story 
in a nutshell. Um, um, but I met Hugh when I got divorced from my ex-husband, who was Andy Scott Lee, brother to... Um, did you know about this? By the way? Just make sure the kids are asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lisa Scott Lee from Stepsis Brother. So it, so our relationship, mine and Andy's relationship, was very... I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, very, very public. And um, very public, very, very public. And um, it wasn't necessarily that either of us were wrong, were horrible. It just didn't work out. And I met him a week after I left Andy, so the wrong time, according to the public. <laughs> and I did not want to find anybody. But then I knew that he was the right. But he got blamed for me leaving Andy, and, and he got involved in a lot of stuff. So he had to deal with a lot of things, excepting me. And that was how we met. And then... Um, so that, I suppose, he was had to deal with a lot of things, obviously. So one shouldn't be forgiven. However, one could be forgiven for not standing by somebody like me, given where I've come from, what I bring to the table, my history, um, the press, um, social media, the intensity, and then my health, which came forward, and my family, and since and from a lovely, simple life in Ireland, from great parents. <laughs> but it doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong, and he's still here. <laughs> although, although a lockdown, mate, I almost went a few times. <laughs> but it's it, 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 there's no there's no right or wrong, and and there isn't one rule in life. And I think that only this year, really, hopefully, a lot of people have um, come to acknowledge that it isn't just one relationship or one people who may suffer from certain things. We're in a very different time right now. So all the things that I've explained and what you did, and we're now greeted with this year. Yeah. So it's been difficult. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I love what you just said, Michelle, about there's no right and wrong. That's it. You know, we're brought up to think this is right and that is wrong. And to a degree, when it comes to, you know, crime and that kind of stuff, there is a need for right and wrong. But in terms of humans and how we live our lives and how we learn about our lives, there is no right and wrong. Um, you've talked a lot about menopause. I, can I just say, why do they call it menopause? Because it doesn't pause. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. No, we've never asked me that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really good question um you're right i think it's because because um pause is where when you're not um you don't have fertility anymore mm. so you can't um have children and yeah. then you pause um your body secreting hormones that your body would naturally do so when a woman stops and has menopause it pauses having estrogen testosterone and progesterone and then that's it and yeah. some women cope with it fine like i don't know say a quarter of women won't really have many effects a quarter quarter or two quarters of women might have kind of what i've been through and then another quarter will suffer really really badly but there again it, there's no rule with that because Nobody knows how many hormones in those three degrees have, you have in your body. And so then when it comes to, I suppose, um, 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 hormone replacement therapy, which I'm a big advocate of, but then how do you know what your body needs? 
So it's a guessing game. And I can't get my head around how we still don't know or still haven't came up with that considering every woman goes to it. It just doesn't make sense to me. And then all of a sudden, no offense to, no, no, no offense to COVID, but all of a sudden we've got a vaccine after a year, but then menopause has been around for, you know, since Jesus Christ was born. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you. And um, we still don't have yeah. any answers of how to treat something that everyone goes to, but we have a vaccine for COVID. And I'm not giving out to get that. Amazing. Well, well done the UK or whomever bought it in. But what the fuck? I know. So Sorry. hard. You'll have to and meet just... the book. And the second book. <laughs> and then the third book. <laughs> Glenn, you're on the beat button. You're on the beat button. It's right. so true. Yeah, like, it's, you're right. You've, you've just brought a million issues to the table. And I'm here with you. Absolutely. She does that quite a lot. <laughs> but never. Yeah, right. Am I not right? Like, you're right. It's I'm not totally the right. pause. It doesn't pause. It stops. And it's been around since forever. We still don't understand it, which doesn't make sense. But it's the impact that it has, I think, not just on on. The, the lady that's experiencing it, but the, the partner, the mm. family, you know, you talk about it plunging you guys into dark times. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the Imperfectly Perfect campaign is about raising awareness around these dark times that everybody sweeps under the carpet and sort of doesn't really talk to, doesn't talk about, therefore it doesn't happen. So really people great. suffer through it because they're, they're not aware anyone else is going through it. What Could you sort of talk us a little bit about your journey through those dark times as a unit, as a family, you know, together, Hugh, how, how being part of this whole sort of experience of dark times is... is um, Put you guys through stuff. I mean, I. I mean, look, 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 look. I mean, I'll let you. I'll let you do it properly. But for me, we're in a different situation that I started menopause very, very early. Um. However, that doesn't excuse that everyone still goes through menopause, and um. Men. No offense want to fix things and when they can't fix it they sweep it and try to ignore it and women go on and on and on and on and on to try and fix it because the man doesn't want to fix it so we try and fix it and then but that, and that's that's the predicament that every single couple are in in this in a predicament like that Hugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I think it goes from it comes from the uh, like Michelle said it like as a man you're trying to fix it but it's hard to see the changes that happens to your partner and then obviously hormonally I haven't changed and then you just see this irrational behavior and all these different things happening and then you see her catching herself down the road maybe an hour eight hours nine hours and kind of being aware of it I think that's the hardest part because you start to learn and read the signs that, okay, she's having an, an, a, a menopausal episode or whatever it might be someone's dealing with, but there's nothing you can do at that time to support. You've kind of got to just navigate your way through it. And then afterwards, you're, you're trying to be the shoulder to cry on, but that's not always the right thing to do either because sometimes she doesn't want to talk about it then because it was yesterday and she's dealing with it internally and she's kind of embarrassed by it because she let rip at you or the kids. And so you end up kind of with all these, as somebody who's not going through it, all these mixed emotions about trying to help someone go through it, if that makes sense. So it ends up just becoming this cocktail of should I do this, should I do that, should I do this, should I do that. She's there trying to do things and not do things. And it just becomes like this chemical reaction. Also, and then there's arguments over stuff that's minuscule on the scheme of things. Minuscule in his head, <laughs> but in my head, 
take the bin out, mate. <laughs> but it's and and but it's it's difficult because also you know like if one would wake up which i do in a hot sweat and my sheets or sheets are soggy wet it's me who's been sweating in a hot sweat so i'm embarrassed now he never makes me embarrassed it's not him who is it's me and so then i blame me and then i get angry and then i blame him and angry but then there isn't a right answer either way because he's never going to be right in that situation but then I, there's not enough information or advice for men that in my opinion could help women yeah yeah i agree with that yeah. Yeah, it sounds like I think that he really can do lost. things yeah. better, but then, but then it could. But sometimes, if you're the wife that says it, it's not the right way. Yeah, and it's always so hard, especially when you're in a couple, when you're trying to help each other and you're too close to each other, and that's when arguments even spiral out of control. But one thing I want to touch on there was, like you said, when you got into a relationship with you, Hugh, to say that you'd not kind of known the spotlight and then suddenly got thrust into it and the blame game. Michelle has had that for a few years. So how did you, Michelle, navigate your own well-being before your struggles in mental health with what you was going through? And Hugh, how did you go? As much as you're a man and you try and rub it off, when things are written in a public eye, this is what I've got to learn seeing people in the yeah. public eye. I'm like, it would make me go further away from that industry. I've never wanted to be in it. But People just see highlight reels and they don't see what comes with it. So to go from your hometown in Ireland, like Michelle says, to then suddenly thrust in and blamed, it's almost this media bullying that we see. How, how like Johnny. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're right. And then I, there's nothing I had any interest in. And it was, you know, when we started hanging out and becoming friends, it was just something that didn't appeal to me. I didn't want to be part of it. I didn't want any association with it. But obviously we had an attraction and we started dating. And because we were in Ireland, we weren't really front and center at the time because it's not a big magazine culture back then. And social media wasn't around. However, I was. six months into our relationship, uh, this is probably the best example is Michelle then did Big Brother. So now all of a sudden she's doing Big Brother on primetime TV. And then obviously we're six months into a relationship. Nobody knows who I am. And then all I'm reading is negative articles about Michelle, the person she is you know, how she treated her ex-husband, whether true or not. It was just a no. media storm of negativity. I'm sitting at home in Ireland in a normal job, going to work, and then obviously at nighttime watching the highlights of Big Brother going, I don't want to be part of this. This is just not for me at all. And, you know, people are then asking questions, and then I'm reading, you know, your Michelle Heaton is... S-L-A-G. S-L-A-G was a headline on the magazine, and you're kind of going... I'm going to get burnt here and look very silly but, as the guy that this girl's going to want to national say, television. But, 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 but before that, Johnny. Can I finish my story? Yes, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, there you go. so then I'm sitting, home, I'm, I'm sitting at home for three weeks going, I don't know if I want to be part of this because I could, I could end up an egg on my face here really quickly. And that was kind of like the first, my experience of it, a real turning point. Then Michelle came out of Big Brother House. I came over and met her the day after it. And it was a bit like, I think I'm done here. You know what I mean? As in, this isn't for me, all this additional pressure. I just want to, you know, get on with life. And, and I was devastated. And we had a, probably a couple of days there where we were like, 
where do we go from here? Because it was all of a sudden now we're in the mix. It's, and it was hard. It was horrible. And uh, all of a sudden, I didn't want to be the talk of the town or people gossiping about me. That was never anything of interest to me. And I think you didn't get a newfound respect for how strong Michelle is that she, because she was dealing with it left, right and center. You know, she wasn't just getting it from me as a partner. She was getting it from the media. She was getting it from her her exes, whatever you want to be. But everyone just came out of the woodwork because her profile was up at the time and she was just getting hammered everywhere, anywhere. And, and then it's hard to watch because you're trying to look after me, but then your partner's getting slayed and you're like, can't really get, I can't really get concerned too much about me. So it was really hard. I think we just, we navigated it through that we really liked each other and we trusted each other. And that was probably what kept us going behind closed doors. Wow. But even 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 yourself, Michelle, when you when you did that first um, show, and then you came out with Liberty X, and suddenly you just blew up. With Rachel wanted to sing it a little bit earlier, just a little bit. But <laughs> anyway, when it blew up, and you're everywhere, and then the publications start writing about you. Yeah. How that because as kids these days, we see them on YouTube and think that that's amazing. We see this, but they don't see behind the scenes. How strong and resilient. And how fast did you have to become to press and to everyone wanting to know your business? Um, it was, um, so we were the first ever reality. So, um, so pop stars was the first ever show on in Australia and they, um, made, um, Bardo. Yep. Bardo. But, um, the, the girl group. Yeah. Pop stars. <laughs> was it, what was it called? I don't, I wasn't here then. I wasn't here. <laughs> I, I, okay. 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 I, I'm going, no, no. 20 years ago, yes, Pop Stars was bought by Nigel Lisco from Australia and they made the girl group in Australia called Bardo. Bardo. Yeah, I think it is. Anyway, the girl group. So, Pop Stars was first originated in Australia. Got that? <laughs> Trivia. Anyway, <laughs> so it was the first ever reality show in the UK that was filmed. So I just entered any audition that was there in the stage newspaper here in the UK. Um, I had no dance training, no singing training. I didn't go to stage school. We didn't have money. I mean, I'm, I was from Council State and Gateshead. And I, I mean, I, I didn't want for anything, but I didn't have anything that would equip me for anything that the people now have, if that makes sense. Um, I just worked shoe salesman. I, I, I gave out leaflets on buses. I was, I actually did postal delivery. I actually did newspaper rounds. I worked in House of Fraser, Tammy Girl, Etam, Topshop. Um, um, I, I worked on a roller coaster inside Metroland. I, I, I gave out money, two peas in a, in a little box when, when you didn't have money machines. I mean, I did everything that I could to raise money so that I could go to London for auditions. And I did that for four or five years since I was 15 years old. And then when I was 20, 21, came around the audition for Pop Stars and, and then they auditioned in Newcastle. So it was the first thing of its kind. And in my opinion, it was just another audition. So I didn't really think anything of it, even though there was cameras filming us. It was just another audition. Do you want to be the next S Club? And I know I've auditioned for S Club. Do you want to be the next Spice Girls? And I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe I was a little bit young at that time, but yeah, totally. Do you want to be in Steps? Oh my God, I'm sure I went to that one. Do you want to be the next um, um, uh, Girls at Play or in Vogue? Whatever it might be. Yes, I've been to everything that I could be. 
So I went, it was just another audition. And then six months after we filmed it, it was live on TV. It was on, not live, sorry. It was on TV. So it was filmed six months previous. So it's very different to what it is now. So I had no idea that it was going to blow up or what the media or how it would be. So I'm all of a sudden on primetime TV on ITV1 every night, every Saturday, like you would watch The X Factor. And then I was working in nightclub as a dancer and I was attracting attention. And then in their opinion, unwanted attention because the body, the, the, the security thought that I was creating because everyone had just maybe seen pop stars that night and then came and said, I just saw you on TV. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like that. And whatever. So then I got sacked. So I got sacked from a job. Didn't have any money. Didn't win pop stars. And then they told the whole world that pop stars was hearsay. We were the five losers. And then I couldn't leave the house. There was press outside the house. My dad's, my dad spoke to the press, my mum, and it, anyway, it wasn't great. But what was good was the next day, Lorraine Kelly rang ITV or Nigel Lithgow and said that I want, I want the losers to be on my show because this morning have the losers. Um, sorry, the winners. And uh, Lorraine, and this morning you can't do one if you do the other. That's how it works. Lorraine Kelly got us on, we went on, we sang a song, we had not seen each other in six months, and then Richard Branson rings up Lorraine Kelly and says he wants to sign us, and I never went home. Wow. That's it. Story. There you go, there's a, there's a good story for you. And that's it, but we didn't, I didn't expect anything, didn't know what was gonna happen, it wasn't about being famous back then, so everything that we now know now about these auditions and TV shows, the point is, is that is it people wanting to do what I wanted to do was just perform and just dying to do something or is it something else? Because I don't know the difference now. Mm. Yeah, it's um, listening to your journey. You know, I was growing, I grew up in the UK, so I remember the whole thing and I was oblivious as you were oblivious to what this disruption to media and TV of reality TV was going to create. And then that was the first wave. And the second wave was social media. And I think paparazzi mm -hmm. um, magazines, blah, blah, blah. You got into it because you love to sing, to dance, to be part of this. You worked your butt off. You did I every, every I job you could to be able to follow your passion. And little did you know that it was creating a firestorm that you were going to have to deal with mentally yes. um, as a yeah. human. And you know, yeah. your, your partner here, Hugh's like, I really like this chick. She's ace just for who she is, which is, I'm but assuming. She's absolutely like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, 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 so the media pick a person and they picked me out of the band. And um, I couldn't go anywhere without being followed. And I didn't, necessarily go out there wanting it it was just that they pick a person it was just happened to be me um all i wanted to do was do what i did and and um it was sometimes hard that i was that person within the band because then maybe some of the band didn't understand why are they not being 
that person on a magazine, but it was really detrimental because whatever I did, I mean, I mean, I was called a glamour girl. I mean, there were some shots that were not what I ever wanted. <laughs> Trust me, my dad had a picture on his locker at work of me and it was from a paparazzi taking a picture of my skirt. And um, one did not go out wanting that. And, you know, like, like, like don't get me wrong. I, I, I get why people, why, why certain people need to see need that because they don't want any difference because that's the only way that they get media. But I, I, that wasn't it. And I'm now that. And, and so only people can see what the press, I was on the front of the star, of star mag, um, paper all the time as if I wanted that and I'm gutted and my brother is gutted because he's at uni and all of his mates were showing him pictures of me. And so that's what comes with sometimes this business. And unfortunately it was me that they picked out from the band. Um, did I want that? No. But unfortunately without that, would I still be here talking to you? Maybe no. Okay, so that that's right. it, isn't it? It's like there okay, you go. this okay. journey. That's it. That that the the stuff that came with it mm. has brought you and and made you who you are. So I'm interested in the struggle and the strength response. So what what you're contributing and what you've learned through through your own personal experience from being oblivious and going right, how do I handle this? How have you developed as a human, and what? What advice do you have for people that are experiencing this kind of mental struggle, both of you, because you, you've both got to deal with this. You know, you can't leave your past behind. It makes you who you are. So what advice have you got for people that are going through this, either individually or as a couple or as a family, that um, need help dealing with these situations that really, really are put upon us that we don't ask for, but we have to learn to work through so that we can, we can carry on our lives. That's a tough question because I need help too. Cause I still don't know the right answer. Um, cause I am, um, I mean, until I got diagnosed with BRCA2, people hated me more. So I feel like I've been let off with the situation that I shouldn't be let off with, even though I didn't do anything before. That makes sense? Mm. And I didn't do anything wrong anyway. <laughs> like I'm just doing a job that I love. And, 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 you know, if I wanted to be the type of people that they think I would be, no offense, gorgeous, I'd marry a footballer or somebody that I would just sit at home with my, I don't know, a chihuahua and do nothing. You know, like, does that make sense? Because <laughs> it isn't about that, it's about what I want to do. And I can't survive without doing what I love to do. And that's why we fell in love with each other because I love his passion and he loves mine. It's really difficult to give any advice other than, oh God, honestly, it's just know your own inner strength, have a good people around you, be able to talk. And that's the whole thing, talk. And that's what we've always said, right? Yep. Be able to talk, have somebody you can talk to. Don't necessarily mean a counselor or a therapist, but a friend 
or a best friend or your husband, but people who don't allow you to talk and get it out, you've got to get it out because then otherwise you're containing it in and then you'll explode. And, and I've, I've been there. Um, it's, it's a very difficult industry to be, but it isn't just our industry, it's everywhere. My, my brother um, w- um, works, used to work in call centers all of his life. And then I got him on a plane to Australia and told him not to come back. And now he did come back, but that was seven years later because I just wanted him to get away from that because he was dealing with issues because of what he was hearing from complaints. And I'm reading this on the Daily Mail, the complaints. I've stopped reading it. I don't know what the advice is. It's just make sure that you talk it out loud because the more that you sweep it under the carpet, the worse you get. Great advice that talking and don't sweep it under the carpet. Jay? What, what about yourself, you, when it comes to, obviously, if there's any guys listening to this, being supportive, just listening and talking, but with you being so prevalent in the health and fitness sector, with what Michelle went through and you as her partner, has it gave you an appreciation of how you educate people in that health and fitness? Because me and Rachel often talk about it and we know as well with magazines and everything, health and fitness is based a lot on aesthetics. I know I did talk to men's health and there was a big thing where they're like, we think it's amazing what you're doing, but this is not the, the area that we're going, where people are trying to bring more to the forefront. So with you being on that grassroots level in club, talking to people and, and, and training others, do you try and bring or do you see in the fitness industry where you are more of a change in how people perceive mental fitness instead of physical fitness? Absolutely. I think uh, it's definitely changed a lot in the last probably three to five years. I've been, in the, I've been in the fitness side of it for 20 years. And obviously in the previous roles that you mentioned, we used to manage like 1,000, 1,100 personal trainers. So we were dealing with all sorts of male, boys, girls, different ages and highly uh, egotistical. Not, not something wrong with us, what the industry attracts, mm-hmm. but very cosmetically driven. Uh, because ultimately they think if I look great naked, that way people want to train with me because they want to look like me. But it doesn't work like that. And that's where, you know, the industry is definitely getting more aware. I think, you know, if I look at the last five, six years in the journey we've gone on in Michelle, I've used my own fitness and training as my coping mechanism for me. You know, I'm not the best talker in the world. I'm first to admit it. Uh, Michelle will be second to admit it. but I cope by getting up and having, for me, I, I just, I need the structure. I need that hour to invest in me in the gym. It's my time. It's where I get my headspace. I think about my, who I am, what I want to be, the husband, father, and I put myself right. And that's how I, I exist. And, you know, when Michelle was having her very tough time with all her operations, that was my counselor for me. And that's just the way I deal with it is I'd go there for an hour. I do my thing, but it, it helped me set me up. And that was the way I talked so to speak but I think a lot more people are open to it uh, I've seen a lot more trainers who I work with being a lot more aware of it and understanding that mental health is priority number one uh, cosmetic health comes behind that and there's I've seen some of my friends with the best physiques in the world who suffer from depression and are antidepressants start to talk about it on social media three years ago these were just big guys and jacked girls that looked great but now they're actually talking more about Listen, I'm struggling, you know, I'm so caught up on the fact that if I eat a couple of days badly, 
that I can't actually go places because I think I put on weight. You know, it's a complete different sort of mental issue that's within inside that industry that people deal with. And it's, it's good to see people talking about it and making it aware. But like you said at the start of it, for me, it's, you really need to understand that mental health comes first. If you don't have your mind right, the cosmetic means nothing. Uh, and, it, and, and the cosmetic doesn't last. You know, you can look great in your 20s, 30s. It doesn't give you anything in later life. You have that mental sharpness. Well, one reason why I was excited about you coming on as well is because my backstory, I lost a friend's suicide, but with being in the health and fitness profession, when I turned 30, living at Bondi Beach, some of my friends looked like they'd just walked off mod, uh, catwalks, like not holding water. I wasn't naive as to think they weren't taking something, but when you've got best mates saying, I'm natural, I'm natural, and you know in that industry, everyone says, I'm natural, it started playing with my head, which was my demise because we moved to Thailand, we couldn't get childcare, and I started having a relationship with the mirror to the point it was three to four hours, and I went such dark places with body dysmorphia. Yeah. And I actually said to one of my trainers at the time when I got over it, I said, you know you need to be more mindful as a personal trainer because when you're posting pictures on your socials, I said, I'm not judging, but this is what he did to me as a client. All I saw was you posting pictures of your clients that were obviously taking something and they were getting results within six weeks. Whereas I've been training with you for a year, in my head, I'm going, I'm not getting anywhere. Is he not proud of it? was almost like I was a little boy and saying, Is yeah. he proud of me? Yeah. And he yeah. didn't understand it. But then at university, he went and did his dissertation on body dysmorphia because of that interaction and his whole life. So, no, yeah. yeah, I get that. Because well, he's categorically not taking anything ever, uh -huh. and um, he struggles to put on weight. Don't you hate him? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, and it looks amazing, obviously. But, but yeah. So he's never taken anything ever, and but I, that, that's, but, that, but you're a, right, though. A quick, it's the thing. a quick story on that. So I trained a guy a few years ago, and he put on two stone, which and he was, he was five foot eleven, two stone. He was a slim guy. Two stone is nothing. But he, he hadn't gone out for dinner with his partner for six months because he was so embarrassed by the two stone and how tight it was on him. Now, I'm looking at him going, you're perfectly fine. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong. You've got a tiny bit that you're uncomfortable with. Cool. But he had got it in here. And that two stone to him was 20 stone. He, yeah. would, he wouldn't go to a restaurant. He wouldn't wear a shirt. He was just... It was, it was consuming him. You know, we, we got it off. That was, that's the easy part. But what came out of it was, and probably the most, as a trainer, the proudest moment, it's not about money, is when a client texts you going, I went out for dinner, I bought a new shirt, I had the best night ever with my partner. He's not cared about a six-pack. That two stone was like him losing 20 stone and feeling a million dollars because you helped him shift the blocker that was catching him. All in here. That's, yeah. That's it. You, you know, I'm just going to go back to what you just said. That two stone is nothing, but to him it was 20 stone because of the lens that he was seeing himself through. And yeah. that lens is a social construct that, that we in the health and fitness industry are, are either supporting or we're breaking down. We're supporting it by posting images of ourselves. But I don't do that because I recognize the effect that it was having on, on my family members. There were younger girls that I wanted to be a positive influence for. And I'm like, I know how this is affecting me. So, so Michelle, you talked about, um, your HRT 
hormone replacement therapy and what effect that physically had on you. Hugh's talking about that two stone on his client, feeling like 20 stone to him, but to the rest of the world, it's nothing. Like We can't see it. To, to someone like you in the public eye being scrutinized by people that couldn't give a crap, right? They just want to turn a page. They want to swipe. Being hard. It was so hard for you to be able to come to terms with how you were actually taking something to make yourself healthier that was having an effect on your body image and the lens you were seeing yourself through, yeah. um, which is another example of the lens. But, but how did you deal with that? So, I mean, I, I've always been up and down. When Hugh met me, I was 10 and a half stone. I'm now, I have no idea what I am, but I'm guessing I'm good. small. <laughs> because I have something else that's wrong with me. But um, but I was easily two and a half stone heavier than I am now when we met. Um, I, I mean, I've been caught, I mean, I was always fat in the, in, in the industry. I got told to lose weight from the record company. And, um, and then what did I do? Go back and order pizza. <laughs> so, so I deal with it the opposite way. So I never had like an eating, I never went down the lines of an eating disorder as such. I had an addiction to diet pills, um, which then gave me a heart defect and I had heart surgery. I, I mean, <laughs> isn't that funny? Not really. I've been through a lot. You have, um, Gil. You have been through a lot. And look at you, you know, you're here talking about it. And this is the I'm thing. I'm still here, but I'm, I'm still struggling. And yeah, you're right. So hormones, um, some, I don't know, every two weeks I could be bigger or smaller I, it's different um i have um a pancreas problem so my body doesn't digest nutrients you're gonna like you just said every two weeks what i loved when you said i don't know what i weigh now i was this stone i don't know what oh, I weigh I now. that's ace i haven't got a clue either the only time i need to know what i weigh is if i'm getting in the ring and i need to know because there's a weight that you need to make okay. but if somebody asks me what i weigh if i've got to go on a flipping helicopter for a shoot or something they ask me what i weigh i'm looking at them going I'm i don't okay. know what week is it no what idea. month is it you know we, yeah. we need to get I mean, to a place when I, was it when I was pregnant <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, um, I, it isn't about that. I mean, it's about yeah. how you feel. But I, I mean, you know, you, people know when if they put on weight and if it's their fault. Actually, yeah, you know, yeah. The last four weeks, I have only ate takeaway and I have overindulged with the red wine, whatever it might be. You know, fine. But um, my my my, I've lost a lot of weight recently, and mine is medical, and it isn't to be supported on, but then I kind of feel nice, I've lost weight. So it's a really difficult equilibrium, thank you very much, right? Right, yeah. of, because I haven't been working out. Because I've lost my passion, because I've got lost my mojo, because I haven't got energy, but then I'm, but I'm eating, I'm not like unwell, mm. but it's like, oh, what, oh. what is it? It's, it's a roller coaster. It's, it's a roller coaster. Like mm. ideal world, we eat food, we exercise, we feel good from the inside out, and we have a balance. But the world and the universe, especially 2020, doesn't... There you doesn't go. That's it. Feel. We've got to roll with these punches. I use that metaphor all the time. You are so right, because literally about five years ago, I was exactly that. So that's it. You eat good. We, we you know, meals, snacks every two and a half hours on a, on a record, protein shake, protein bar, you know, my chicken, workout twice a day, once a day, make sure I was up in the gym, all of that. And, and I, looked, I, look, I looked toned. I was on the swimming. Everyone's like in awe of my arms and all of that. But then life shifted. 
Hmm. And it's okay, isn't in it? Menopause. It's okay. Yeah. And everything has happened. And then so that that was me. So everything shifted medically for me. And then 20 now. <laughs> I mean, he would have thought this year would have happened. It's just not normal. So okay. it isn't just us or me who's in menopause early or who's been through everything. It's everything and then this. And everyone's got this as well. What a year it's been. The year off. That's, that's all. We're just waiting for aliens or something now, aren't we? Like, who'd be surprised? Oh, my God. I know. You need to speak to Lee Ryan. <laughs> Lee. You, Lee's a good mate of mine. Lee, Lee believes in aliens. You know that, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> alien. Bless him. We love Lee. But, yeah, but I, I don't actually disagree with Lee anymore because I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> is it aliens? What is it? <laughs> no, it's COVID. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Oh, what was I going to say to that then? When, when you, <laughs> I've gone on to aliens. Now. What, Lee? But, no, the alien thing. Oh. Um, I've just got a couple more questions for you. Two questions, because I know I want you guys to get back to your evening. It's but all right. When it comes to, um, what was I going to say, the, the body and everything like that, and, and it's to both of you. I think with women, you tend to speak a lot more openly about it. Guys don't speak about when it comes to that. Mm. And the more when I spoke about body dysmorphia, yes. told some guys and shared it, the amount of guys, I actually wrote it down on a blog piece. And there was like, shit, I think I've got that. I just didn't know there was a name for it. And I can remember to the side, there was one guy who used to come out with us to the point, like you were saying, when you were over-exercising, you were doing this and that and the other. He used to turn up and he used to get out some boiled chicken in his bag when we were on a night out. And That's that, the guy you're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> you, the one that you talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, my okay. mates do that, and they're uh, the best bodies in the world, but they've got some serious... That's, a, that's, a, that's an issue. That's an eating disorder. Well, this, is, yeah, this is the thing when it comes to those... And this is what I love about this campaign, purely because it's breaking barriers and it's bringing everyone that we're human. Because you're going... What we see up here as the epitome of a body that we think is amazing, a lot of those are really struggling to maintain that. And one of, the, one of my good friends, she dealt with... Um, what was it anorexia and she literally turned around and she was walking down the road one day she was over exercise she was doing all this and this old lady just turned around to her and she was like oh I'd do anything for a body like yours and she said she just broke down. she broke down at that moment and the old woman was like have I offended you she was like I'm a fraud I'm not happy mm -hmm. I'm over exercise I'm doing this because yeah. of society and what people are telling me what and I'm like Oh, what are we doing to yeah. us? Seriously. I totally agree. One of my friends, Jackie, she's just turned 50 and she's um, openly spoke about her anorexia issues. Um, and you're right. The more people commend you in that scenario, it can go one of two ways because then she wants it more or did want it more. Yeah, the other way. Um, and then it becomes a major health issue. Nikki, one of our friends who was in Big Brother, is also been openly talking about what she did and has and still struggles with and um has and has you know fertility problems. Um, there's it it's it it's not just about media. It's about perception of weight and how we look and perceive ourselves. And I struggle now knowing that Faith is almost nine, going on 19, watching all these TikTok things mm. and wanting to be these girls who are like that. And I'm 
dying. You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that TikTok thing, I don't know if you, if you, like my kids on that TikTok, and I've actually reached out to a couple of these TikTok influencers just to basically break it down for our kids and go, maybe 1% of them are lucky. The other ones have probably got someone behind the scenes doing their marketing, their branding, their yeah. like spending money. And I'm like, even our kids are thinking it's so easy. And we're like, oh, forget education. I'll be a TikTok or YouTube star. Yeah, yeah that's it. Bloody yeah, but hot. really, really quickly, getting back to your question about the men, mm. um, I do think that, I mean, if you look at the suicide rate of men and mental health issues in general, I know it's almost, well, and, and actually men who come out and say it, um, eating disorders are bigger than women. Larger than women, the percentage. Yeah. I know that. If you look at statistics or or if you actually pay attention to all of that, I know that. And we've, you know, I, I've known a couple of people who have lost their lives with not dealing with things. And, um, and I think that men suffer, you know, as, as much as I love women, obviously I'm a woman, I think that men do suffer more because they keep it in more. And then, so it's difficult for them to open up more if they are suffering because they're a man and they don't want to open up and they want to, you know, be in control and all of that and whatever. But then one day, that's it. And that one day. It's that split thing. I mean, that's it. And that one day is gone. And if, and if you then do it that one day, you're gone. Mm. And say that, and that one, that one split decision could have been eradicated if you had just spoke to somebody. Or if, say 10 minutes later, you then thought, oh my God, what an idiot. Of course, I don't want to die, and that's it. Oh, that's and that's it. the way that I'm. That's where, like, that's where that I look at suicide mostly from what I've known from friends who have lost. It's the cloud of judgment, isn't it? And I'll tell you really, really quickly from mine what I learned. I went through cloud of judgment, and mine turned because, like a boxer, and you, you know, all those spin classes. I was teaching fifteen classes a week of spin class, so predominantly I'm putting all the load here. And then I was teaching Rachel classes, combat. And because I wasn't doing back training, it was all here. So I was going here. I couldn't train my pec minors to open it. So I put myself in such a bad position looking in the mirror. And the thing with body dysmorphia is you want people to agree with you that you've got a problem. And I used yeah. to fight with my wife so much and go, no, but can't you see it? And she'd be like, no, I can't see it. Yeah. Like, until you get that kind of, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. And then you're like, what the fuck? Like you're serious. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You're totally right. What do you mean? Am I really fat? <laughs> Rachel, what were you gonna say? Oh. I was gonna say, um, it's quite it's quite um fascinating that we've got such an understanding of the body, but we with in the medical world, in the physical world, but we have so little knowledge about the brain. Mm -hmm. This year, everybody's experiencing, which I'm loving, like the British government, the New Zealand government, everyone's talking about mental health because they recognize they're putting their citizens in a house and saying, stay there. And you, you have to face yourself. You have to learn about yourself. And this campaign has gathered momentum because it was a stigma. No one wanted to talk about in the health and fitness industry world. I've got a following people that look to me to be inspired to fall in love with fitness. So if I start saying not every day is a sunny day, will they like me less or more? I made a lot of fear around that. And I was, I've been fascinated to see that 
people just didn't understand the brain as much as they understand the body. So I'm hoping all these conversations we're having today, which I'm really grateful the pair of you have come on and you're, you know, you're front foot in this and you're turning your struggle into strength for yourselves and for the people. Um, the campaign is called Imperfectly Perfect. What, what, we all get asked this question. What, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to Glenn, to me? So I'm going to ask both of you what, whoever wants to go first to, to sort of wrap it up so that I'm sure it's like 10 o'clock at night for you guys now. What does imperfectly perfect mean to you? Glenn, you say. I'm probably going to be a bit, uh, I don't know if I've got it right in the concept, but for me, it's probably around uh, trying to be the perfect husband and help Michelle and be her strength. Cause she's got, like she said, she's got an awful lot of health issues going on there and she's been through for the last 10 years so much health struggles like hysterectomy, mastectomy, her heart surgery, now the pancreas issue. You know, that's a lot to take in in 10 years for one person, plus giving birth to two children and rearing them. So it's trying to be a perfect husband and a good husband to her, but clearly I'm imperfect in that because I make a lot of errors and I wind her up a lot. So I suppose for me, the imperfectly perfect is, I'm doing the best I can do, but I'm by no means perfect. Yes, there you go. Yeah, he's totally right. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Jordan, he is perfect in my in my eyes. So in my eyes, he's perfect. So he beats himself up because he doesn't think he's perfect. For me, and perfectly perfect means that no one's perfect. We're all a bit shit. We all a bit shit. We all fall off a wagon in somewhere or the other. Now he's never tasted alcohol in his life. Ever, he won't even have dessert if there's alcohol in it. But it doesn't mean he's perfect, because he isn't. And I know I'm not perfect. And I think that we have to allow ourselves not to be perfect, because I always wanted to be perfect. I want to be the best I can be. And I still do want to be the best I can be, and the best I can do, and the best mum. But I'm never going to be right, because nobody's right. No one is perfect. And the more that we understand that and the more that we give ourselves a break, the better we will be. I love that. Some wise words from both of you. Really? Thank you. Okay, I just made that on the spot. Is that good? Thank you. Because I really mean it. I really mean it. But sometimes I say things and then Hugh goes, why the fuck did you say that, Shell? Are you sure? I am, Michelle. I love that because yeah, you just said both of you just said very meaningful, very relatable things. You know, um, what does imperfectly perfect mean to you? And as a as a couple, like Hughes focuses you and his family, and it's recognizing how he to 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 be everything for you. He can see he's trying to be perfect, but he's not. And for you to then turn around and go, but that is perfect for me. It's all about the lens that we wear. And for you to be able to sit there and say, we're not perfect. And as soon as we stop trying to be fit, perfect, we'll stop that struggle. And that's exactly what people need to hear because being perfect is, is where the pain is. So yeah. let's just not. And can I just say, like, before we ask what you're, what you're up to next and where people can find more information out, I've been loving this podcast chatting with everyone. Lately, we've been chatting to more Brits and Irish. <laughs> And Scottish, and the thing I've loved about it is you just get the humor. So, you to yeah. sit there, I was laughing so much inside, just going, We're just shit. We're just shit. <laughs> like, I was speaking to Craig Kelly, a, a British actor, yeah. 
queer, hilarious. So he's got his podcast I keep plugging. It's called Kelly's Heroes. And he's speaking to like Tamsin Althwaite and all these. And he starts it off with very British questions that his kids ask. And it's like, what's your favorite dessert? And he's like, oh, can you remember when you go to Marks and Spencer for those chocolate eclairs with those great big greasy fucking... And it's just, people are like, even my wife, she's, she's obviously not from England. And she's like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't, yeah, yeah. it's a British sense of humor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's dry. It's the office. That's what it's. It's that. It's like it is. It's what you That's it. That's all you do. And people should laugh, but they don't. <laughs> the American versions when they make the American versions of ours, and I'm like, I spoke to a guy in Australia. He did Shameless in America. They've made a copy there, and I'm like, but mate. British or yeah, not dry, but yeah, have you ever seen a podcast? Um, oh gosh, what what was it? What did Jamie do? What's it? Porn star. My dad, my mom and dad's porn star. Was it? My dad's, my mom and dad wrote a porn book from that. Was it? I don't know. It's the biggest podcast ever. It's made a movie, wasn't it? It's now in a movie in America. My mom and dad wrote. So, something porn something that the, basically my friend jamie who used to work at disney and um we know we he he read his dad's and white and and mum's book right and it was something about their fantasies or something and he read it out loud on a port podcast with his best mate girl and best mate boy and then it got picked up and it's it's the biggest successful podcast ever but it's british humor and they are now on cbs is it i believe like 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 however many series and they they travel yeah my dad or my mum wrote a porno something like that and it's yeah, huge, right. but it's British. It's British. <laughs> so I'm laughing as I think about it in my head. It's British humour, but that's yeah. They got that's why British people don't present um, the Emmys or um, the Oscars anymore. Yes, Ricky. Yeah, oh. basically that's what happened, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know what? He owns it as well. So, guys, we want you to get back to your evening. Before you go, where can people find out more information about you, and also what's next for you guys? I know you're going on to do panto yeah well i'm going on to do panto in liverpool on saturday um um which is a very different type of panto it's with audience seminars so behind me will be the audience cinema screen and so the mice will run on in cartoon as i'm very godmother instead of you know, a scene change because you're not allowed to do it in COVID. So that's what I'm up to. But in general, I don't know, ask the government because maybe someday they'll let performers perform again. Very true. And what about yourself, you, in the fitness world? Uh, I'm going to go train tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then just work. No, um, no, 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 no. You, you're, you're, you know, no. But, you're, but your company just got bought by? Uh, the company, the app I work for, we just got acquired by a big American company. So. What's the American company called? Ever commerce. I don't, you always please don't know everything that you do. So obviously just busy with work trying to go through that integration. But the main thing I'm focusing on right now is uh, it's back day tomorrow at 6 a.m. and I got an hour alone. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, what? I'm fair. Anyone, We've got a dog. It's not in the fitness world, does not understand that sometimes you just go for mental clarity. 
Oh, honestly, some days I just go in there and I have the worst workouts ever, but I still walk out just feeling great because I had an hour away from the wife and the kids. <laughs> Oh, look, I'm sure it just hooks it in a different way. Come here, baby. I get it. Come you got what, mate? Only the dog, by the way. Come here, come here. 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 Come Let's think for car- if you're interested in uh, mental clarity, honestly, <laughs> going out for a walk with a dog every day, I have to say, is just so peaceful and rewarding. Oh, it, uh, until she poos and it's runny and you've got to pick it up with a with bag. <laughs> oh, God. And where can people find out about you guys? Which socials? Oh, gosh. Um, Hugh is Hugh Hanley. Right, I, I, yeah, but I'm really poor at poor, uh, posting. I need to raise my game. Like, like you said earlier, I don't know what to post because I don't want to post topless selfies. Well, you do. You do when the dog's there. <laughs> I do have, you see, have you seen this page? <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> I do the same thing every day. I'm a creature of habit. I train. I eat. I like. I like uh, being, doing the same thing. So there's nothing for me to post because I do the same thing every day. So I'm kind of like, well, I don't Fair add enough. value. So I need to get better at posting. But I'm on Hugh Hanley. I might, <laughs> I might post once a month, whereas Michelle will post hourly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on one to one Michelle and I post only nice things. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But but you have to see Hugh's page though, because when he is topless and loving his mirror image, Val is there as well. Oh, at him like that. She's his champion. She's his champion. Yeah. Well, guys, I just want to say it's been a pleasure on behalf of myself, the campaign, and Rachel. Thank you for taking the time out, sharing your story. And yeah, we appreciate you a lot. Absolutely. Really, thank you. Thanks for having us. And uh, if we can help in any way, do reach out. Same. Thank you very or much. Like extend the invite, we fly over to Australia and we come stay with you for a few months. That'd do be it. great. Yeah. Do, do it. it. The house yeah. is open. Yeah. You can come over this way. We're not coming back to England. The weather's not as good, is it? I know. You know I know. I don't think we're allowed in your country anyway. So. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll let you go. For anybody listening to this, simply subscribe, share, and like through Spotify or High Heart Radio. I'll put all the links up. And you can find Michelle and also the CIO, Hugh Hanley. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good evening. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. 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 Good night. Bye. Good morning. Good night. <laughs> to find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.